Welcome to the Success Leaves Clues podcast with Robin Bailey and Al McDonald. Have you ever wondered what makes someone successful? What are they doing that's different? How do they achieve greatness? We believe that success leaves clues. In this series, we are interviewing very successful people from different walks of life to hear their stories. We'd like to remind our listeners that the views expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and not necessarily those shared by our hosts. Welcome back to the Success Leaves Clues podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Life and Legacy Advisory Group. Are you a small business owner who thinks they pay too much in taxes? We can help. Give us a call or book a meeting by clicking the link in the show notes to book a free financial consultation so you have peace of mind about your financial future. We're also brought to you by ARIA Benefits. If you're a business or HR leader and you're needing a competitive employee benefits package to help you attract and retain that top talent, we can help. Check us out to book a free consultation and create a customized benefits package that fits your business and budget. I'm your host, Robin Bailey, back again with my amazing co-host, Al McDonald. Al, what are you saying these days? Well, it's all good, Robin, and we're always excited about these podcasts and talking to guests. And we're lucky because today we've had a couple of people on that were super enthusiastic and vibrant. And our next guest, I think, is going to continue that trend. I think you're right. So let's get the introductions out of the way. Our guest today is Amanda Small. She brings over 10 years experience as an HR, talent acquisition, and people and culture leader to Nest Wealth. Originally from the US, Amanda is a professionally trained artist. Hopefully we can get into some of that, as well as an experienced people and culture leader with a passion for collaborating with entrepreneurs, startups, and creatives, finding new ways to deeply engage with their communities and talent Her experience in program management, which is in Denmark. Yes, we talked about HUGA, the concept of HUGA. So I don't know if we'll get into that today. Human resources in Toronto, talent acquisition in Canada and the US, mentorship advocacy again in Toronto and arts programming both in Australia and Canada signals an interest in cross-pollination. She applies diverse skills and experience towards building company culture, streamlining processes, and driving employee growth with impactful cultural shifts that advocate the importance of mentoring, coaching, and building teams, capacity, and capability to meet future business needs and increase collective impact. Amanda is passionate about growing companies by helping people focus on what they love and how they contribute value, which is what I love. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Wow, hearing my own bio, it's like, woo. Doesn't it? It's always weird to hear someone else read out your bio. Like, what's happening here? Hey, look at me. I'm all accomplished. I know. I know. I was like blushing a little. Like, wow, it's been a great 10 years. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I think, you know, one of the things that you said, even in my bio, that just resonated as I was like, I just like to come and work with people really thinking about how they can add value. And I think that maps over to myself too, like daily. I'm like, so how can I add value today? So I'm super happy to be here so we can talk about those things. It'll be great. That's wonderful. Amanda, I'm actually going to start today, which is a little bit unusual because usually Robin leads off with questions, but I really wanted to ask you the first question because, you know, we talked to a lot of business leaders and this is going to give maybe a little bit of a different perspective because you wanted to talk about being a parent and what being a parent has taught you about Mm -hmm. being a leader. So I love that question and I wanted to lead with it. So can you tell us about that? Yeah. I mean, so I have a lot of feelings about being a parent. And I think being a great parent is something that resonates in terms of how people feel about being a leader. I think most people think to themselves, 
hey, I want to be a great leader. And that was no different for me in becoming a parent, I think, about both of those things. And I think as a great parent, what I think about a lot is how am I going to build confidence, grow empathy and curiosity and authenticity, you know, into the way that I raise my kids and also when I mess up. And so I really mess up sometimes and the ability to, and grace, I guess I would say to be really accountable and really own my actions and reactions, whatever that is, that has impacted my kids is something that I've mapped over really tightly into my leadership practice. And I also had my first, it wasn't a a true HR leader role, but I had opportunity to be impactful and influential while I was pregnant with my first child. And one thing I remember, I don't know if I read it or heard it in a podcast, but somebody said, well, if your kids aren't performing or you had hard times, you wouldn't fire your children, you don't lay off our children or terminate our children, or if they're you know not doing well. And if they came home with a bad grade or something, or had messed something up, we wouldn't, you know, sort of sacrifice them to make our numbers. And I think that great leaders really lift up and coach and grow their team members, their people. And that's something that I think is so connected to and tied to how I think about being a parent. And the other thing that I think is that leadership, it's a choice, not a rank. And A lot of people have authority when they're leaders, but they're not necessarily leaders. And I think as a parent, right, you're the leader, you're the leader of your tribe, let's say, and of your family. And this concept of really being curious and thinking about how you grow these people around you and expand the ability to kind of look and be empathetic and be confident All of those things I think is so powerful and a concept that I often think about and I feel so often in my own leadership is that concept of surrender. And there has been no greater teacher of surrender for me than parenthood. It's so incredibly powerful and it can be incredibly confronting, but that opportunity to be really bought in and really excited by and ultimately giving over to not knowing, to not being right is such a huge concept in parenting around surrender that I have found as I'm resisting something on a team or in the dynamic of teams and leadership, I often think about what would I do If my three-year-old was resisting or my two-year-old was resisting what I said, I wouldn't, you know, react and be like, oh, come on. (laughs) I would pause and I not always listen, I lose my temper, but I would pause and really look for the opportunity to be curious and intrigued and the opportunity to be swayed to his perspective. So I think that's been a really interesting, you know, my older son is six, my youngest son is two. And when we're doing hard things, and we do a lot of hard things in both parenting and leadership, I think of that opportunity, or that concept of curiosity and empathy, surrender, 
And I think Google came up with the idea or use frequently in their organization, this concept of disagree and commit. And one of the most powerful things I've learned in parenting was from Dr. Becky. I don't know her last name, but I can find out if listeners are curious, but she says in one of her podcasts, you know, two things can be true at the same time. And that alignment means you're on a team and like employing that mindset of teamishness, which is us and we're together so that you don't have to agree, but you can still be aligned and move things forward together. And that is a key, key element of my parenting. And it's something that I think has been played out so distinctly in my leadership style from just the lessons that I've learned from being a parent. Well, I love that perspective that you've brought just putting yourself at the same time, being a parent and a leader and using some of those crossovers between the two to make both of them better. I think that's a great perspective. And that's why I really wanted to dive into it with you because again, it's not something that we've really heard before. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Well, obviously Al, you can relate a little more because you are a parent. I am not a parent, but I was very interested in your answer from two perspectives because it made me think of my parents as you were speaking and and what I saw my dad as. And and I really saw, especially my dad as it relates more to business because he was in the same business as we are. And I realize now he was a great coach because 100% for sure, that is where I got my work ethic from. You know, I remember you had to be 12 to get a Sunday Sun paper route. And as Tony Robbins would say, I use my personal power, otherwise known as lying, when I was 11 to get that paper route. And I just think he had such an impact. And then when I look at my business partners, Al is one and Joe, my other business partner who doesn't come on the podcast, they're both parents and they both coached as well. They've coached other kids as a lot of parents do growing up. And I've seen them both bring that skill and they're both very good at it, better than me, to our company because I've seen them coach other people in a very effective way that that maybe that's a skill that I don't have as developed as them as a result of having kids. So I think that's a really important piece that you've talked about here. The concept of human design, can you maybe talk to us about how you personally bring that to work and how does that make an impact? Yeah, human design. So there is an actual you know, sort of practice around this. And I think it's a little woo woo. So partly, you know, sort of a coaching style, but also a little bit like disc, but related to the moon and stars and things like that. But what I really wanted to kind of point to, I just wanted to clarify that because some people might actually be practitioners of actually human design thinking. I think the concept of how much time we spend abstracting ourselves uh, kind of out of our bodies, out of sometimes out of this deeper and broader, maybe future that's waiting for us. And I think often I'm really speaking for myself, but I also coach so many people a little bit in turbulence, right? With ourselves, like, how does it all work? And so much of what is about to occur, the future outside of you is unknown, right? So we think a lot, especially in startup, we talk about this being comfortable with ambiguity and being nimble and able to kind of just be okay with the unknown, but ambiguity is really everywhere. So the way that we're able to really ground into the unknowingness in order to be able to create, I think is so related to that deepening kind of your sense of yourself and your authentic expression of yourself is really a gift to both probably your inner world, because there's a peaceful 
I don't know, self-awareness. I think that comes when you're being, you know, that experience of like being in a room where you just feel all of your just true self coming out and people really get it. They see you, you know, how that just feels like so incredibly cup filling. Sometimes I leave evenings with people that I'm like, wow, I'm completely lit up. So part of my particular kind of human design, I thrive in areas where I can experiment. So maybe if we were speaking of it in like tech lingo, (laughs) I like to work very agile and not waterfall. Like I don't like to finish something and then like put it out there. I'm very like, I want to try this and get some feedback and experimenting and learning from and collaborating is just very much who I am, both as an artist and as a people and culture leader and people and culture professional. But when leaders come to me with misalignments, what I've seen is the most productive and impactful teams that I've been at. And that doesn't mean without this, you know, turbulence that I pointed to are the ones where we really intentionally take the time to look for and understand not the job description, not the core role responsibilities, not necessarily even the tenure or experience exclusively, but the unique strengths and character that a person brings to the table. And then we really lift those strengths up. And those are inherent. Those are unique. Each person really has their own human design that they're bringing to the table. And that's how I think when we lift those skills up, when we identify them even and lift those skill up while we're building, you know, a new foundation of skills they may not have, or building out the core foundation of what we need. When you're filling that cup, that human design cup, that authentic self cup, I think it's really actually very easy to build core foundational skills. So Just something that I think about a lot, that we can actually often be an abstracted version of ourselves. It's tough to kind of show up exactly as we are. Interestingly, speaking to the two of you, knowing that your partnership is long and deep, I wonder what you think about that because you've had such a long time together that I would think you both kind of know those parts of each other where you're really just lit up by certain work or certain opportunities to be expressed. You know, it's funny. I I call us the three little bears (laughs) because we all have such different personalities and different skill sets. And we often say when we look at eventually, you know, the next generation of people coming into the business, we said, well, how are you going to replicate that? Because when we first started, what we were doing and how we were setting up the business, and it's no secret, so I can share, we were 100% equal partners in every sense of the word. Like when people were starting out, they were starting out companies like ours and they were going to share office space. But otherwise, if I made a massive sale, well, that's for me. And if Joe makes a sale, that's for him. Mm-hmm. And table stakes in the beginning were even before we formalized our partnership that we were going to work for the good of the client. And as long as we did that, everything would work out well. And Although we've had some disagreements over the years, we've had a lot of respect for each other. And most recently, we went through an exercise where we all made decisions as partners for years. And I think that held us back. And recently, we kind of took on more of a role of a larger corporation saying, well, Al, Al is now our CEO. 
And as our CEO, he has the authority to make those final tough decisions about the overall strategic direction. Right. And for Joe and I, we still have a say and a very strong say in where the direction of that company goes. But the ego had to be left aside because we had to trust and know, and we do, that Al was going to make the best decision that he could possibly for all of our benefit. So that trust is there. I wanted to go back on something, though, because we talked about it in the intro and you just touched on it. And I think you bring such a unique skill set to what you do now and in your role today. We said you've got an artistic background, classically trained. Can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Because I think that is part of what's unique about what you bring to your job today. If you had asked me even 12 years ago, what are you going to be doing in 12 years? And this is kind of what I mean about I don't know, just leaning into this, who and how you are in the world. If you had asked me, are you going to be in HR or any of my friends or my family or anything like that, we would have all been like, what? Like, there's no connection there at all. So I think a couple of things there. One is, I think that creativity and my deep connection to creativity, as well as you know, my conceptual work, I went all the way through my terminal degree in art. Like I did as much schooling as I could possibly do for fine arts. It was all about looking at the landscape with curiosity, right? And thinking about ideas of beauty and contemplating how pattern and symbols create or can tell a story about home or place. And I did a lot of sort of thinking about interconnectedness, right? Between these patterns and these ideas about how we think of symbology to map out like home or place. And that includes like our internal landscape. So interestingly, I think all of that time spent honing my craft when I think about technology companies, which is the space I play in, which is why I refer to it so much, but typically I'm at product led for the most part, technology companies and honing your craft is so important. And I relate to that so deeply that you spend so much time thinking about your concept or your purpose, and then trying to map that out into the world, right? Which is sort of that customer empathy part of product design and design thinking. And then you bring it back and you hone your craft some more. And one thing that happens as an artist in particular is you're taking such, I don't know, I think close to the heart concepts, right? Your conceptual work is all about some inner world that you're trying to put on the outside. And every time you do it, you get a lot of constructive feedback, you know, and I got a lot of constructive feedback and also some really interesting and good feedback. But most of the time you're kind of putting your insides on the outside. And that I think interplay also taught me to be willing to be extremely vulnerable, empathetic, and curious, it also actually did give me, you know, a little callous on the outside. I'm okay to get critical feedback. And that is something that I think as artists, we spend years cultivating. I mean, if you've been in the art world, that is a huge part of your practice, this 
hours of meticulous research and learning and practicing and honing your craft, putting it out there, taking feedback, taking that back, honing your craft some more, putting it out there, iterating. So it's not so different, right? Then I think what happens in product or in tech. And I think artists, or for myself at least, the opportunity to be extremely creative and curious is so important to why I was able to make the move kind of into HR on top of, I think I already told you to this story, but really someone else saw the good in me and leaders have done that over and over and over. And this is what I mean about my unique and particular human design. Someone else saw it in me before I saw it. And now I'm able to see it in others before they see it. And that's how we create that opportunity to really be, I don't know, sort of pulled up and out to bring the unique and powerful value that we bring into a company or into a team or into a situation. And I also think that very first leader who saw something (laughs) in me that I didn't actually referred to me as like, you're very creative and also uptight. And I thought, what? I'm not an uptight, you know, for a creative, that's like, no way. But I understand what she means now is that I like a good problem to solve with a work back plan. I kind of operationalize things. And that skill in and of itself got honed over time as more people took a chance on me or saw something interesting in the way that I, you know, kind of take what I know or what I learned as a creative, as a practicing artist and sort of pulled it into how I think about my connection to people, my ideas about interconnectedness and connection in general, like all of that has been kind of moved over. And as I went through my HR practice, as I gained more and more opportunity with more and more leaders, it was like, some of the most creative work I've ever done. I built lots of programs from scratch. And I wonder if if you two can relate to that. This, when you're starting something new, it is conceptual. You're like, well, what if we did this? And it's inherently, I think a little bit scary because it is kind of risky and also deeply, deeply creative. Al is my voice of reason. That's why I tell him. (laughs) And I noticed he put pause on notifications And it's a good thing he does because I will send him on Slack a message at any time with an idea that comes up. But I think that is a real skill set in business. I mean, I don't have the same artistic background that you do, but going through university, I did a ton of extra work. And at one point I thought I was going to be an actor and I went for the open casting call of Traders that they were filming in Toronto. And my claim to fame is being in David Cronenberg's crash. And I was was sitting in the crowd. We were filming down on Cherry Street over two in the morning. And we were watching the reenactment of James Dean, you know, the fatal car crash. Mm -hmm. But that creativity is something I've definitely brought to the business. I mean, Life and Legacy, which you can see behind Al, is our original branding. And Aria, to your point, that was a concept that I'd come up with and approached Al and Joe and said, hey, listen, I think here's the reason why I think we should do this. And I think we can turn this into a really great company. And we have, and that continues to grow. But You also talked about something I think is equally important. And I think you did develop that, especially as an artist, because you're going to hear what isn't working for sure, but developing that thick skin. And in our role as well, when we're bringing on new people, I said, people are going to get upset of things. They're going to say stuff that they don't mean. You can't take it personally. They're just having a bad day. They just need help to get something fixed or provide a solution. So 
the sooner you can develop that skill where you've got that thick skin and you're not going to take it personally, you're going to do so much better. Like for me, when I'm asking for business, I have no shame. I'm going to ask for business. I mean, if I like you, I'm going to ask for the opportunity to do business together. What's the worst thing you're going to say? Hey, no, not right now. Hey, no big (laughs) deal. We can move on and I'm going to be here 10 years from now so we can chat then. But no, I really appreciate that answer. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting, right? That our ability to, I mean, this goes back to us a little bit talking about my experience as a parent. I think people have this fundamental experience quite a bit, which is like when someone's upset and you put curiosity in the space rather than resistance, I think, oh, I mean, if my kids haven't taught me anything else and they've taught me a lot, it's that, that every time I resist, it persists and they go harder. And you see that in business. You, I mean, we're human, right? Like you want to debate, everyone's leaning in. It's like, it's so charged and just a pause and a moment to be persuaded. And I don't mean agree. I don't mean agree, but I mean that opportunity to be like, what's going on over there? (laughs) And I really have had that just pummeled into me by my six-year-old. You know, he just is that way. If I'm going to go hard, he'll go Mach 3. And I'm like, all right, all right. You know, like, how are we going to do this? And, you know, I think you both have either seen it or heard it or experienced it yourselves. When you are building, especially in scale up, when you're building a company, there are so many pressures. And there are not that many pressure valves, you know, to kind of figure out or time or spaciousness, right? To just pause and do that. But I really think about that so much. Just, I think it's important to have boundaries and also to know that nothing really is personal. I think we all live in that abstracted self so much of the time, right? We're just navigating the world over in our worlds And a lot of my artwork was around that too. So it's just interesting, you know, to kind of think about going back in time to my younger self. And I wonder what would it have been like to just do the pause, to pause and really get curious. That's a skill that I've honed, especially managing teams and leaders. I don't manage leaders, but I partner very deeply with them. And so often they'll say, you really asked a lot of questions and it got me to where I actually now know what I mean. And that's a little bit of, you know, that root cause analysis, like really saying, if you can sort of almost coach yourself to be like, huh, I'm going to ask why five times now, you know, and it does not that it's like so formulaic, but I'm just gonna, and I do it with my kids. I'm like, "Hmm, not always listen team. There are times when I'm like, you're just going to stop watching TV now, (laughs) but uh, it doesn't go well. And we see that, you know, we see that so often play out in teams. I'm loving this conversation. And I've said this before. One of the things that I really, really enjoy about our podcast are speaking with people who have a different perspective and maybe one that I haven't thought of before. Right. And I really liked your first answer when you talked about, you know, parenting and you've brought up curiosity a few times now and using that to, you know, try to understand the other person's perspective. And it's very easy to dig in your heels, but <laughs> as you say, it doesn't often work. It just ramps up the level. I want to get your perspective on something a little bit different too. Everyone these days is connected, connected to the internet, connected to social media. We've all got the Fitbits or the devices on our wrist. We've got a phone on our hip. 
Can you talk about the power of allowing, you know, technology and device disconnection Mm -hmm. as a path to connection and creativity? I love talking about this because I think one thing I just mentioned was this concept of spaciousness. And spaciousness is where creativity and I would say strategy lives. So when I was an artist, if I was coming up with a really meaty conceptual idea, my first place was to research. So I would do that. But then I would always build into my plan, what I call white wall time and white wall time is nothing. You don't do anything. You truly (laughs) stare at a white wall and let your mind relax. I would always have a sketchbook right there because so much, you know, it's meditative, right? So much comes up when you pause. And we so often forget in business that our most interesting, most thoughtful and unusual out-of-the-box ideas need spaciousness. And being on Slack or Teams or whatever you're on, messaging all day and running from meeting to meeting, which is truly my life. And that's part of being an an HR leader. Like you, you know, you're, you're constantly meeting with people. And I think part of where I just see such an opportunity for deeper connection and alignment is like intentionally building in white wall time. So Sometimes what I think that looks like is a meeting free day. Although people then they're like, I'm going to do my, you know, they try, they navigate some way to put a few extra, you know, catch up meetings in there or whatever. But even just having focus time built into your day. Now, one of my executive leaders does what she calls an unstructured walk and just goes out and sort of processes and thinks about some of these hard, really challenging and tricky problems we're trying to solve. And that is just so critical and we forget it. And we're even getting, I think, a little bit more connected because we go from work right into our, I don't know, our social technology, right? Like I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Instagram and just, it is also a different kind of input. Like I think A little bit the way I relate that is to the research part of a concept in my art practice, I guess I would say, where, you know, you want to take a lot of information in and, oh, wow, what an interesting idea, or look at how that person has thought about this thing. But then you got to have that spaciousness to really sink in and connect. And I was just telling you both, I was in California and, you know, we live in Toronto beautiful city. I mean, luckily it's also a very green city, but being out and seeing the stars, I felt like all of these challenges I'd been chewing on were like so crystal clear. And I was probably sitting out there half an hour, you know, just taking away the rapid fire connection. There is a really interesting story. I think it is shared by Simon Sinek. I can't remember who shared it, but he tells this story of Officer or Captain Swanson and the kiss. And I can't remember which Simon Sinek talk it's in, but it stayed with me for so long. But this opportunity in spaciousness and connection 
is really sort of told in this story where they were fighting a war and he was leading his team into battle and one of them was wounded and he carried the soldier into the helicopter to be hella lifted out. And as he put the soldier down into the helicopter, he leaned over and kissed his forehead. And somebody asked him, like, why did you do that? Or what compelled you to do it? And he said, feelings are not instructions. And I think we forget like that a little bit when we're always doing over being. And business is a really special, especially startup where it's very fast paced. There's so much doing, but this idea that feelings are not instructions that we're able to like really create this connection with people, I think just takes unplugging, you know, the generosity of my mind is very different when I'm not doing this when I'm not crafting the message. And I think in behavioral psychology, they really talk about that in communication. When you're mirroring, you're not constructing your response. And we're often in that space of like readiness to respond. And I think disconnection, you know, kind of taking out technology or building in opportunity for nothingness, right? White wall is just such a key to being able to more deeply connect to what's happening, a creative opportunity or solution and to other people. And we know the best, highest functioning teams, I'm looking at one right now, (laughs) is deeply connected to each other. And I don't mean they know everything about each other. And I don't think it's formulaic, but I think there's a deep opportunity for beingness maybe not overdoing this, but, you know, really having that be part of your practice as a team and also as a leader. I love that insight. I love that answer. And, you know, to go back a little bit about disconnecting, that is something I definitely try to do. I will turn my phone off and I will, as Robin said, I will shut off my Slack messages. You talked about the white wall. Uh, For me, that's when I'm on my bike. I go out, I ride. That's my Zen time. That's when I, I can get away from work, but I can also have some clarity around just my thoughts. And um, sometimes I, I think about work, but I'm purposefully because I don't have all the noise around me. So I can definitely relate. Your white wall is my bicycle. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love to bicycle too. Um, oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Not like in spandex going on a, a road bike. Oh, I was in spandex I, for yeah. sure. I'm oh yeah. On my Danish <laughs> cruiser, cruising around, but I do city bike everywhere. That's a big part of my well-being, I think. Yeah. <laughs> What was the saying you used around it allows your mind to be generous? What did you say there? The generosity of your mind. I've yeah. never heard anyone talk about it that way. I'm going to take that. I'm going to steal that one. Right. Because, I love it. No, because I resonate with that so much. Al will know every idea, including the podcast, has <laughs> come when I've been away from work on a vacation, sitting on a beach. My Zen time at two places where all of my ideas come from. One is sitting on a beach when I'm all alone. I love that. That's been my experience of everything that I've created. And the other is really simple. Day like today, it's raining. I love sitting in the garage and listening to the rain, you know, by myself and, and being able to think. So those are my two places. 
Well, okay. since we're switching things up today, because Al jumped in on the beginning of the podcast, and I know <laughs> I did. It made total sense. So I'm going to take his signature question. So okay. this is Al's signature what? question. I wish I could take credit. It's such a good question, but I'll throw it out to you and see what you think. So the saying goes, a society grows great when old persons plant trees in whose shade they will never sit. Can you talk about any proverbial trees that you're planting? Oh, I love this. Okay. I don't think that I'm necessarily planting the trees, but here's what I think I'm bringing and I'm committed to bringing. I want to be the fertilizer. So (laughs) my good friend in California, she said, what if, you know, you were the fertilizer? And I thought, yeah, I want to be the fertilizer. So, you know, what that means for me is really looking for ways that I can nourish the opportunity for the trees around me to grow. And I think partly what I'm being the fertilizer to right now is like the becoming our best selves at the companies that I work in. And I love the opportunity for the becoming of our best selves to be absolutely through our people. That's who we are. And yeah, I think that's how I would answer that. That's, you know, a hundred and what, 35, 40 episodes in now. That's the first answer we got about fertilizer. So I love, there you go. again, you've got, <laughs> you've got such a unique perspective. I love it. I'm so glad you agreed to come on the show. Well, that's probably a great spot to wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your journey and your story. Again, I think you have such a unique skill set that you bring to the table. And and I just really love this conversation. What's the best way for people to reach out if they have questions about yourself or what you're doing at Nest Wealth? You can send me an email. I'm on LinkedIn, Amanda Small 416 You can also send me an email anytime, asmall at nestwealth.com. Perfect. Well, that does it for today's episode. As you can tell, we love this conversation. If you have any questions for Al or myself, please feel free to give us a call or by joining the conversation on LinkedIn. And as we've seen yet again, success leaves clues. See you next time.